Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You've got to, you've got to abuse that blocking terrain. Um, so I lost to Cooper. I lost an illuminated fairly early on in the game. To, a, to some luck, it was a, a negative flip severe, which just took it straight off the table. Um, I pushed Huggy right up into his face and another negative flip severe, so those obviously swung the game a bit. Um, but you've got to abuse that line of sight. Welcome to another Malifaux Path to Podium. I talked to three players who last spring competed in a tournament in Perth, Australia. We talk about the cruise they took, their approach to each of the pools, and what were the key decisions that led to them finishing so high? Be sure to stick around to the end as I get their thoughts on the most recent new strategy and the latest errata. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy this path to podium. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Welcome to another Malifaux Path to Podium. Our guests, Joshua Lomas, Anthony Nguyen, and Kyle McCleary are the top three finishers in a recent event held in Western Australia. Joshua, let's start with you. Welcome to the third floor. Hey, young Craig. So Josh, tell me about the day you discovered you could roll dice, flip cards, and push models around. When did you find tabletop gaming? Oddly enough, uh, the day I discovered all that was well after I actually found the, the hobby. I was about 12 and a friend of mine picked up some Warhammer minis. Um, and I picked some up as well, but I don't think I actually played a game until I was nearly 20. Just Oh, no kidding. Were you, so you're just putting them together and painting them? Yeah, collecting, painting. I had all the books, just didn't really have anyone to play with. And being a kid, the, the LGS was always a bit intimidating, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so what was the first opportunity then? Well, when I moved cities, uh, I moved up north a bit uh, to go to university. Moved up north to go to university. I, I made a friend up there who also played. Um, and so we would play together just on the floor of his um, floor of his house, really using paper cutouts instead of minis because we couldn't afford it. It was Warhammer, you know, and we were uni students. Yeah, right. Um, then after that, I, I moved around a bit more, um, moved back to a small town, was playing some Warhammer and a friend of a friend had moved back to town as well. And turns out he was a Malifaux henchman and I sort of first did my toes in there. <clears throat> Not long after that, I moved cities again, but I always had a, an eagerness for the game from just the few games I'd played. Um, I was playing Warhammer here in Perth when I moved here and then third edition came out. There was people playing and I just dive straight in. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Now, Anthony, welcome to the third floor. Hi, how you doing, Craig? Good, my friend. Same story for you, sir. When did you find out that you could paint little models and play with dolls? Um, so I, I first got into it when I, uh, um, when I was a kid. Um, I really enjoyed reading, and one of the um, one of the books series I really loved was The Lord of the Rings. So when I found out there was um, a uh, you know uh, a game that I could play that can you know represent the whole all the all the scenes from the movies, so on and so forth. Um, I really went into that, and it sort of involved from there. Tried a little bit of Warhammer, played quite a bit of War Machine, um, second edition, um, for a little bit. But I took a bit of a gaming hiatus uh, for you know just university studying, and I came back really into it maybe in the last about year and a half. Um, dive, uh, tried a little bit of Warhammer again, 
Um, unfortunately, War Machine uh, died out a little bit in our community. So um, I took a step uh, or took a bit of a risk, uh, you know, inquired about Malifaux, uh, found out there was a really big community near near my area, legitimately down the road from my house. <laughs> and then it, um, yeah, then it went downhill from there. I now own more crews than I can paint. <laughs> That's funny. Very, very cool. Last but not least, Kyle, how about you? How did you find the hobby? Um. I think it was around 2006, uh, just the shopping center I frequented had a Warhammer well, Games Workshop store then, and I just decided one day to walk in and see what it was all about, walked out with the uh, Battle for McCrag starter, and then sort of in and out of it, played it a bit, fell out of it, and then uh, moved out further down south and found a, another gaming store. They had a wall dedicated to this game called Malify I'd never heard about. And I was like, I've got 40k, I don't need another game. And then I started watching games get played and went, okay, I think I need to get into this. And now I own every master up to Cooper. No kidding. That's funny. <laughs> so what is your main faction then, Kyle? Uh, at the moment, Neverborn. Very nice. I think you Very mean nice. Euripides is your main faction. Oh, <laughs> I'm actually recording a Euripides deep dive tomorrow morning. Oh, nice. Oh, so that, yeah, that's Eager coming. That. So. Uh, yeah, I've got, to, I've got some good people for it, so I'm looking forward to it as well. So, guys, the Path to Podium series digs into the stories, strategies, and the mindset of recent event winners. We will talk to these top finishers and try to uncover what their key decisions were and why they made them so we can better understand how they made it to the top of the heat. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. DZ Learguard here, creator of the M3E Crew Builder app, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because supporting great content creators like them is one of the best ways to help grow this game. So to join me and the other floorheads, go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, and we will see you there. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is... We won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to some of the original patrons that started us on this journey. Special thanks to Jesse Ellis, Sam Newman, Nick Westbrook, Jim Ortiz, Kevin Smith, Keith Suderman, Matthew Riddle, Dane Leergard, Jeremy Peace, Bookie Gunner, Chris Blue, Voslav, Kim Otto Nielsen, Rolf Randall, John Haas, Cody Hyatt, Michael Roper, Ambrose Ingram, Pudgy Hobbit, Kaiser and Crimson, Brandon Sommer, Jason Reddy, Jason Burry, Kylie Woodland, Brian Schooner, Alan Voltz, and Owen. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis, and I appreciate it. All right, so first round, it's a flank corrupted ley lines. We've got assassinate, hidden martyrs, leave your mark, sabotage, and spread them out. So, Anthony, I'd be first want to know kind of what your thoughts were on the pool when you uh, first came across it. Yeah, so um, uh, with this tournament, we had the pools released early, so we um, maybe two, three weeks early, so we had time to prepare for it, as well as we knew our first matchup, so round one. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, about a week early. Now, um, we are a pretty close-knit community, so we sort of have an idea um, of 
you know, each other's play style, um, what, what crews available. So there was a little bit more of a, you know, um, meta related, uh, some, some meta related choices picked into this. Um, I, I quite, I quite like the pool. It, um, a corrupted ley line is a really fun strategy. It's probably one of my favorite strategies. Um, and the pool allowed a bit of scheming as well as, you know, if you just want to beat face, you can beat face. Yep. Um, and I, uh, I chose Jack Daw into this. I, I, I picked Resurrectionists. Yeah, I picked Resurrectionists for this tournament. Um, they're probably my main faction. Um, but weirdly enough, none of the masters are my main master. Um, but yeah, so I picked Jack Daw into this mainly for a few things. Um, flank deployment was, um, really good, um, for him. So he can get into the fray quickly um also because i actually never played jack door into in a tournament before um he he was probably my second master like ever in m3 wow um, yeah so um so yeah so he was my second master ever but i never actually got him playing the tournament so finding a pool where he worked was brilliant and my opponent opponent james i knew he was going to play outcast now he's a very good um, outcast players with uh, things like Parker and um, uh, Von Schill, which I was sort of expecting, but he actually uh, picked Hamlin for this Interesting. round. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I knew. Um, I was actually. I think I pretty lucked out on that because Hamlin has a lot of good matchups into um, into Resurrectionist Masters, except for Jack Daw. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I think I locked out a little bit there. Um, I, I for that list, um, I chose. Um, sorry, if you want to edit this part out, uh, the whole part. Oh no no no! Just the just the um, <laughs> just a bit while I try to open up my list. I have like five tabs here. Um, yeah, so um, I was just. Do you want to mention it's the forty-two stones tournament? Um, oh, I don't think we did mention that. So, uh, it, and so, what was the idea behind making it a smaller stone tournament? Time consideration. Um, so, yeah, time consideration. We have a, a local store that's very accommodating and um, very supportive of the Malibu community, but due to uh, the recent COVID pandemic, um, they had a change in um, uh, you know store opening hours, which means that the, we only have. I thought the hours were only like were always ten to five on weekends. I'm pretty confident. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I play during the weekdays a lot, so I guess um, that probably is true. Um, but, yeah, essentially, the yeah, the hours are 10 to 5. Um, so, you know, we have to get in and out by within that time frame. So right. that's why for the 42 Stone Tournament was um, – well, you know, that, that, that's why it was set up that way. Sure. So what were your 42 Stones? So my 42 Stones was uh, initially I picked Jack Daw, um, Lady Ligia, um, you know, the Master in the Totem. Uh, Montressa, uh, two hanged with great uh, spirits touch and one guilty. So wow. it's a very um, compact crew, uh, yeah. but I feel it's also a very hard crew to get over. Um, uh, a bit of a spoiler alert, uh, technically James killed one model, which was a guilty, which then came back. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, uh, no, no knock to him. He's James, is an amazing player. I think it was just, um, I was just thought it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so I, I, I started ended the game with a net zero. Uh, That's crazy lo losses and gain. Yeah. So when you um, look at over the over the five turns, Anthony, um, can you think of kind of any key moment where you said, you know what, I think I got this game? Um, was there something uh, that happened that really uh, turned the tide your way? Um, uh, I, it was a series of three activations. Um, now James played a heavy rat list, um, and, uh, I had less activations in, but he had more activation that doesn't mean as much. So more activations that he just needs to set up. Um, I capitalized on that where I managed to get, uh, both my hangs and my guilty to, uh, pretty much on your heels, pin him in his, uh, close to his appointment zone. Yeah, and um, they just refused to die. They just stood there, uh, taking up so much attention from Nyx, uh, Hamlet himself, uh, totems, uh, his totems, uh, and all the other, uh, you know, plague keyword models. Um, yep. And I managed to get some of my models free from the scrum and to go off and scheme, which... Um, Very nice. Um, yeah, so that's I think that's where I took it, um, just that positioning. Um, terrain played a big part into it. We had a big sort of blocking central uh, piece of terrain. Um, that he had to go around and I, I also had to go around, but, um, it worked out in the way that I managed to pin some of his models to the left side of that. And it, 
and I held him there. Yeah, so I, I always consider terrain as a big part of how I play my game. That's smart. That's smart. I think it's one of those things that a lot of people don't consider, and it uh, can be it can be a difference maker. So I'd be curious, Anthony, what uh, what were the two schemes you picked, and what uh, did you finally score? Yeah, so um, I picked Martyrs and Assassinate. Um, I scored uh, the first point of Martyrs, and I scored both points Assassinate. Um, I picked those schemes because they're probably the easiest one to do. Um, and with our, because um, we were we had a very tight timed rounds, um, I felt like the one where I can achieve as many points as I can early, just in case the game does end early. And um, yeah, you'll see that's probably a consideration I, uh, well, something I took into consideration throughout the tournament. Um, you know, this, our tournaments are always very succinctly run, but of course the time factor is always something that I have to play around. Right. So what was the final score, Anthony? Um, I believe that one was a 4-5 victory to me. Oh, it was close. Yeah, very close. We, um, uh, we, well, well, I felt that I could have actually lost that game, but we actually ended a little bit earlier. Um, we had last activation caught, I believe, the first two activation of turn five, and it could have swung gotcha. heavily the other way. Got it, got it. All right, Kyle, how about you? Uh, first of all, what, did, uh, what were your thoughts on the uh, pool? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. It's a bit, uh, bit more schemey and killy as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's okay. Um, so Kyle, what did you declare? Uh, I declared Euripides because I love playing Euripides. And nice. Yeah. I think I've soloed him at the last few tournaments. <laughs> wow. Did you end up soloing him in this one as well? Yes. Very nice. Um, so what is it that you like so much about Euripides? Um, I just really love playing him. There's, uh, like a lot you can really do with him. There's a, like, I know people complain about his movement and everything, but I can, I played a lot of him and I can probably count on one hand the the amount of times I blocked myself in with ice pillars or the 50 mil bases. Yeah. I think he's, he's a, he's a master. You got to practice, right? You've got to get your reps in with him, but no, I agree with you. And he's got some, there's, there's some crazy mobility built into him, but you, you, you've got to know how to pack and unpack them. Um, so yeah, I could see where experience would have a huge factor on that. So what were the two schemes you chose? Uh, I chose Hidden Martyrs uh, on a Lissa and a Gurion and Leave Your Mark. Okay, excellent. And uh, and your opponent, what did they declare? Uh, they declared uh, Assassinate and Leave Your Mark as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so looking back, Kyle, and you look over um, all the turns. Well, first of all, what was the final score? Uh, final score was 6-4. Okay. And when you think, think back on it, what is something that maybe you did or your opponent um, was unable to do that you think that made the difference? Uh, it was basically, I got a good hand in the first turn and <laughs> that helps. Yeah. When I get a good hand like that, um, I basically move, teleport Euripides up, dump a bunch of ice pillars in my opponent's deployment zone or as close as I can. And then I'll teleport two models with a uh, gigant using the shattering shove trigger. And I managed to get Thune and Agurian right in the middle of his crew, turn one. And yeah, basically, he barely left his deployment zone. So it's interesting that both you and Anthony ended up finding a very similar recipe, which is take advantage of the terrain and the, and the flank deployment and really kind of pin him down. Yeah, basically. And I managed to bury um, Shenlong twice. Which helps. That helps. Yeah. Yeah, that sure does. That sure does. Well, excellent. Congratulations on that. How about you, Josh? What, what, what did you bring and what were your thoughts on the pool? Um, yeah, so I brought uh, Lynch to this one. I'm playing 10 Thunders at this tournament and uh, I brought nice. Brent I really like him in Corrupted Leylines. Um, as for the pool, like the other guys have said, there's a bit of scheming, a bit of fighting. Um, Matt, the TO, usually puts together a good pool um, that doesn't lean too heavily one way or the other, so you can do what you like. Um, I ended up bringing Lynch, Huggy, Kitty, Tannen, uh, a Wanudo, a Beckoner, and an Illuminated. Um, mostly wanting to bring some extra, like that movement um, for ley lines with the Wanudo and Kitty to get the, the ley line marker around the field without needing places. Um, and yeah, I, I played against Cooper, which was a very interesting uh, experience. How so? So what were your thoughts on that? Well, I'd not played against Cooper before, um, unless you count some early on testing. Um, now, Lynch, I, I really like him to fighty pools. I think he's a good good combat master, oddly enough. Um, but Cooper just put out crazy damage and could stay outside my control bubbles while still pushing some models forward to, to help him score. Yeah. 
Um, I ended up taking Hidden Martyrs on uh, Mr. Tannen and Hungering Darkness, which is one of my favorite combinations because nice. you got a model that just won't die and a model that pesters your opponent until they kill it. Um, and then leave your mark because Kitty can drop scheme markers no matter what she's doing. Just as a bonus action, no interact needed. Right. Now, Josh, when you uh, look at that, what was the final score? It was 5-5. Five, five. Oh, so it was a tie? It was a tie. Uh, now, do you feel that a lot of times with a tie, one opponent will walk away and going, you know what? I, I left a win on the table and I didn't take it. So between the two of you, who, who do you think had the best chance of winning and let it go? I think that my opponent, Bart, probably had the better chance here. And he, this isn't to say anything against him. He left it on the table because he got into Malifaux 3rd edition maybe like a month before the tournament, not even that. Oh, God. He played a lot. He played a lot of 2E, and he's a really good player. He's a good Infinity player, um, but he's only just gotten back into Malifaux. I I think think he had one practice game with me. Yeah, like that goes to show just how good he is. Yeah, that's impressive um, because I think in some ways it's easier to start with three than it is to come in with a kind of a 2E mindset because the games are surprisingly different. Um, so yeah, hats off to him for being competitive right out of the gate. Um, so Josh, out of curiosity, because I know there's a lot of people listening that are anxious to hear more about, uh, playing against Cooper. Is there any advice you'd give somebody going up against Cooper now that you faced him? Um, you've got to, you've got to abuse that blocking terrain. Um, so I lost to Cooper. I lost an illuminated fairly early on in the game to a, to some luck. It was a, a negative flip severe, which just took it straight off the table um, I pushed Huggy right up into his face and another negative flip severe. So those obviously swung the game a bit. Um, but you've got to abuse that line of sight. Um, the the concealing terrain just isn't good enough um, because of his ability to trade off damage for positive flips or vice versa, um, gaining focus. He can just put on a heap of damage even with concealment. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And uh, bubbles are something he just, just doesn't worry about. No, he just um, doesn't like, even like other, other opponents. Yep, no, that's very, very true. Well, gentlemen, we got a win, a win, and a tie. Let's uh, take a quick break and let's talk about round two. Howdy, friends. Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase-marker compatible, almost free of glare, and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So round two, we've got corner symbols of authority. The pool is assassinate, claim jump, catch and release, spread them out, and let them bleed. So, Josh, let's start with you. First of all, what did you declare when you saw this pool? I declared McCabe. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah, so going into this, I think this was the second or third game of McCabe I'd ever played. I just picked him up recently. I'd had one test game uh, earlier in the week with Anthony. Um just to see how it went. I got absolutely stomped in that test game. Um, <laughs> but in this game, things sort of went more, more my way. Um, and it ended up with an eight, seven, my win. Oh, wow. That sounds, yeah. that, was that going all five turns? That was, yeah, going to, to time. It was going to all Very five Very nice. Yeah. It's not easy to score eight points, man, let alone letting your, have your opponent. Cause usually, usually when you score eight, your opponent's got like three or four, but that sounds like a hell of a battle for an eight, seven. That's fantastic. What did your opponent bring? Uh, my opponent brought Pandora, which oh jeez, odd choice, but he's been out of the game a little bit lately, um, and that's what he felt comfortable with. And obviously, he's done just fine with Pandora on corner. Yeah. 
Uh, that's the smart move. Go with what you know. That's for sure. Yeah. So what were your uh, scheme picks? Um, so I chose catch and release um, with a Huckster because they're just incredible for it. They pop in, get a point first activation the following yep. turn. They just leg it for a corner. Um, yep. And I chose spread them out. Gotcha. So uh, same type of question, Josh. So when you think back on the match, um, what was the difference maker? How were you able to deny that point and make sure you got yours? There was a one defining moment. It was, I think it was turn two or turn three. Um, my opponent took a pretty standard Pandora crew plus the hooded rider. And that was his scheme runner. That was um, him picking up points. Um, I took the Dawn Serpent for a similar role, but because mm-hmm. I'm the cave and that crew, I have some redundancy there. Um, so turn two, I'd push the Dawn Serpent right up on my right flank and he'd gone around that way with his rider because that's where the, the points were. Um, early turn three, I came over with McCabe. I net gunned the rider. I staggered him and then I charged him with the Dawn Serpent and that caused him to miss one point of the strategy. Oh, so he full scored on the schemes. It was the difference maker was the strategy. Yes. Very nice. Very, very nice. So with McKay being relatively new to you, are you in love now or um, you're going to push back to other masters or how, how much more McCabe are we going to see from you? Uh, McCabe's great. And I do really like him in the pools that he's good in. But honestly, like at this point at the moment, if I can play a game with Lynch, I'm probably going to play a game with Lynch. <laughs> you like Lynch. That's yeah. great. That's great. So, Kyle, how about you? What was your approach to this pool? Um. Yeah, same as always. You know, I've got the movement and uh, the models and whatnot. So yeah. Well, well, we know what you took. So let's let's find out what you picked. So uh, what were the schemes that were were best for Euripides into this uh, pool? Uh, well, I actually chose assassinate and uh, catch and release. Okay. Yeah. And who were you up against? Uh, I was up against uh, Cooper actually. Oh, okay. So another Cooper match. Yes. Was, now, was this a different Cooper player or the same Cooper player from round one? Uh, no, this is a different Cooper player. This was Elvin. Gotcha. And was this the first time you'd gone against Cooper or do you have some Cooper under your belt? I've played a couple of games with him and I have uh, faced him maybe. I think this was the second time I'd faced him actually. And and what what were your thoughts going into it? Um, is how, are you, how are you going to handle Cooper, uh, especially with so many big targets on your side? Uh hoping to engage him early because that's what I've found is if you can engage him and keep him engaged, he can't use that gun right. and it cuts a lot off of what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was the final score? Uh, final score was five, one. Oh, geez. Okay. Wow. Uh, so how did it get so lopsided? Um, I managed to get Thune up early and buried Cooper and then immediately oh, activate geez. and bury uh, Ula. And my opponent had a choice of which one to unbury. Unburied Cooper. I then got lucky and one shot Artemis. So uh, Ula stayed buried the entire game. And then I had wow. the damned came in, leapt over, charged, and basically Thune and the damned just wailed on Cooper until he died. And Yeah. I, Th- Thune against anybody's a bad recipe. Yeah. I love <laughs> Thune. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a huge win for you and good for your diff. So that's fantastic. How about you, Anthony? What were your uh, thoughts on this pool and who did you bring? So uh, for this pool, I picked Seamus. Um, I was actually playing against uh, my... I like you, Anthony. I like you. <laughs> yeah, Seamus is one of my favorite masters. Um, I, there's a bit of a reason I picked him into this pool as well. Um, we actually, uh, my friend and I, who I played this round, tested this pool um, quite quite a lot. Um, and I tested against her quite a lot. So um, my, uh, my opponent was Alice, and she bought um, McCabe. Now, ah. yeah. Now I find McCabe uh, often uh, as I have a very bad matchup against uh, against Sheamus because a lot of his stuff is incredibly swishy, and um, Sheamus can every single turn if I plan it just right, swing the points so my way because um, I one shot a Huckster on a moderate, and I can knock. You know, uh, if I get a bit lucky, I can even knock McCabe on his horse in one or two activations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So entering this, I picked um, uh, I picked uh, assassinating claim jump again because McCabe is isn't that tough, and um, I had the emissary to really help me get up there with um, with the anti heal barrier uh, with the anti heal bubble, um, as well as um, being able to drop down coffin markers. Um, mm-hmm. And I picked claim jumped on a doxy with with um, grave spirits touch. Um, I just 
in my games, um, probably 30, 30-ish games with Seamus, I find that um, it's, it's a very rare occurrence where any of my doxies actually die. Yeah, so, they're good. They're, yeah. they're great models. Yeah. So I'd be curious uh, how often, because there's really, you know, kind of two modes with, with Seamus. And one is, uh, you know, what they call the peekaboo Seamus, which is, you know, teleporting around, popping his gun. And then the other one is more of a close combat Seamus, because you can really get a lot of action economy out of, you know, pushing things into Seamus and having him get those free attacks. So I'd be curious what, what's your approach generally with Seamus and what did you do here? Um, generally, with Seamus, I like to play first turn Pikaboo, first and second turn Pikaboo, um, and it, and it changes depending on the matchup and how the lay of the game is. Um, for this game, um, just because she bought two Hucksters um, and the Rough Riders, um, I had to really play Pikaboo because they were all over the place, and Seamus is the only yeah. one in the crew that was fast enough to chase them down with enough damage to efficiently remove them. Uh, which I did. Um, uh, I usually use uh, my crew. So in this in this uh, list, I picked um, uh, the Avatar Dread. So you know the emissary, dead Doxy, a dead rider, and a Ron Bell. I used that core core crew to move into the middle of the board and really help Seamus control movement, um, especially because a lot of McCabe's crew has average willpower. I can really start holding people up with, you know, all the amount of distracted I put out, the laws. Um, and I made special use of the um, emissary's ability to drop coffin markers because um, I won I won the choice of deployment. And I put um, Alice into sort of this corner where there's really only two two ways to leave her deployment zone. And then I dropped coffin markers into the main way. Um, right, and it right. really affected her ability to spread out so I could get my crew into the middle and start controlling it because I know she didn't bring Sadia, so I know that she will have a lot of trouble actually doing any sort of meaningful damage to my crew just because mm-hmm. um, they're just so damn tough and they can't be charged, manipulative, so on and so forth can be can be quite, quite a, a thing to remove. So there's a bit of controversy about the emissary among reser players. And I'd be curious, you know, there's a lot of reser players that aren't hot on the emissary that'll still bring the emissary with Seamus for obvious reasons. Do you find yourself using the emissary outside of Seamus? Yeah. So I play, I play quite a bit of Reaver. Um, and I find that he is essentially nearly a keyword model for her. She, um, the ability to throw a course marker so far up is yeah. beautiful with Reaver. Um, I, uh, with, if, if I see um, research mission in the pool, well, um, I it'll be hard for me not to consider the um, emissary because he can nearly gain you uh, the first point by himself. Um, second, right. second turn, he can do it by himself if you get a bit lucky with your flip for killing your own zombie. Um, so uh, I, I find that he's actually a very very nice model. Um, obviously, he's not um, he's not a pick for every single pool and strat. And I think I think sure. that's what a model should be. Um, should yep. be good, um, but not something that can be considered for everything. You know, you don't want to be an auto pick. So we've got uh, two wins uh, for you, Anthony. We've got two wins for Kyle. We've got a win and a lo- and a tie for you. Does that sound right, Josh? Yep. All right. So going into round three, we're going to head there in a second. But before then, I want to find out, did any of you guys get paired up against each other for round three? Kyle and I did. All right. Let's take a quick break and let's see how that goes. We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, so round three. Now, it's also a Corrupted Ley Lines. It's standard Corrupted Ley Lines. Um, so I got to stop right there. Um, Anthony, from my understanding, there's a bit of a story behind how we had a re- repeat in the uh, strategy. Can you tell me that? Um, yes. Um, actually, I believe Josh can tell it a little bit better than me. Well, um, t- if, t- tell me, Josh. 
Yeah, so our TO Matt wanted to put together something special and different for this tournament. Um, and the original idea was three corrupted ley lines, but all of them had homemade schemes. Um, Interesting. Because the, the event was to commemorate the, the release of Explorer Society in full. Um, so that was the original idea, but unfortunately Matt had some laptop difficulties that involved his laptop dying um, and he lost all of the work he'd done. Um, oh, no. And going from there, he's just he, he wanted to sort of keep, I mean, he didn't have time really to, to fully revamp the thing, so he picked some schemes, changed one of the strats um, just to add some diversity, and that's how we ended up with two ley lines. You know what? I have never thought about that. That's a really interesting idea, having in a three-round tournament, having the same strat with three different deployments and three different scheme pools. I think that's actually an interesting approach. I'm going to have to noodle on that a little bit. Um, uh, I like that. I, I, I rarely like to compliment Matt on a podcast, but I'll have to give you credit for this one, Matt. That's a, that's a pretty cool idea. All right, so Anthony, so actually it's not that, that we had a repeat into three. It's that we didn't see the repeat into two. That's actually the story. Uh, so that's interesting. So let's talk about the pool itself. It's let them bleed, hidden martyrs, break through, spread them out, and catch and release. So uh, first of all, Anthony, what did you pick? Um, so for this one here, I, I picked um, Hidden Martyrs and Let Them Bleed. Um, so I chose to play Kirai into this pool. Now, um, I'm actually playing against um, probably one of the best players in our meta, um, uh, uh, Rebecca. Um, she is... Uh, <laughs> I need a, to get Rebecca back on the show. She's, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's lovely. She's always been a great opponent. Now, she's a Keras one-trick. Um, probably play more games of Keras than I played games of Malifaux and... Uh, you know, I sometimes get in, I, I get in three, four games a week. So uh, she plays a lot of Keras. Um, yeah, so um, this is actually a bit of a grudge match because we um, we had a tournament uh, late last year um, using the same the sort of the same two masters, uh, Mike Kirai versus the Keras, and uh, um, she won that one by I believe a point. And uh, so this is a bit of a grudge match for us, and um, it's, it was a really fun match itself. Um, so now uh, for that, my list, I brought uh, Kirai with a Whisper because that's a card that should be stapled to her. Ikirio, yep. obviously. Um, Dasuba, uh, Lost Love, uh, one Shikomi, one Onryo, and two Stations. Um, nice. news that yeah, news of the Onryo is a bit of a tech pick, um, but just with 42 stones and uh, myself needing a large stone pool is sort of the thing that could fit. And it always makes yep. a good little corrupted ley line runner anyway, a low stone runner. Um, some of the big defining moment of this game was, again, it's a terrain-based one. Um, I heard the deployment zone was sort of split in half by Sofika building. And, well, and so we were playing a very lovely Japanese-themed table as well, so nice. it was a bit fitting. Um, and it was, it, the deployment, her deployment was split in half by, um, yeah, this really big building with um, the low stone carrier. Uh, which was a silent one on one side, as well as Elijah Borgman, not Elijah Borgman, um, Carlos, and uh, I believe it was a spider swarm on one side of the board, and then Karis and the rest of her crew and the totem and such on the other side. Um, so my strategy was um, we were going into time. Uh, we, we knew that um, with a summoner, we might go into time. So I wanted to stop her from scoring as much early points as I can. So every single activation, I sneakily pushed up this curious more and more to this right side where the silent one was. She um, used her, all her activations on that flank, um, and we were pushing the silent one trying to claim the first point. So she used all her activations on that flank, and um, when I felt it was safe for Akira to go in, I actually blitzed this Akira straight into the silent one, threw down as much of my um, heavy cast I could, killed it, it threw the low stone backwards just with how placing was to a model that um, couldn't efficiently get to the get to the marker in time. Uh, and that really helped me um, sort of get a lead. Now, it was a really close game itself. Um, I believe I won 4-5 or 5-4 oh, um, with it being quite swingy that could, you know, both ways. Um, and I felt that, I again, the terrain was such a big factor. And, um, uh, Kirai and her crew, the Urami crew, we they're all incorporeal. We ignore the terrain. Yep. While the fastest thing on her side was Karis, and you know, Karis is fast and she's very brutal, but um she can overextend. 
So yep. my choice was I was going to just summon as much chaff as I can, Gorios, so on and so forth, and just pin her as close to her deployment zone as possible um, with these relatively hard to kill and kind of, you know, very fighty models, and then just use my um, sort of mobility to try go out and score as much as I can before the end of the game, um, which I managed to do. Um, now, uh, Rebecca's a really good player, and she just she saw through it, blitzed through my... Um, sort of my attrition pieces and she actually managed to get real close deep into my deployment zone on top of Kirai but I was, I was lucky in that um, we ma I managed to push out enough of a point lead um, to you know s s secure the W um, yeah yeah so uh, so how did you end up what was your final placing then Anthony um, I came first from there. Very nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Congratulations. And Thank a you. tough matchup. Um, and I, and I tell you, Rebecca's come up a few times on the podcast and I, I, um, I respect the hell out of somebody who, you know, picks a master and just says, I, I I'm going to be the best at this master in my meta. Um, and it can, it can allow somebody to have matchups where, they're playing their crew and you're playing Malifaux because you know you're the crew better than anybody else. And uh, that can be a huge decisive uh, matter. So hats off to Rebecca on that. But we've got the Battle Royale for second and third happening. So we've got Josh versus Kyle. Um, Josh messaged me before the podcast and said I needed to be nice to you, Kyle, that apparently you were terrible during this matchup. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> Does that sound right? Okay. Um, but uh, so Josh and Kyle, I assume you guys have played each other a few times before. Yes. Yeah. Actually, the last probably big tournament we also played in round three. Oh, wow. That, that, one, that um, one wasn't for any marbles. So, Josh, what was your thoughts uh, going in, knowing you're going to go against Euripides at this point? Um, and with this pool, um, what, what were your thoughts going in? Um, so particularly with this pool, I thought against Euripides, I'm like, excellent, free two points off, let them bleed. That's easy because he just does it to himself. I don't even have to try. Um, but no, I, I know Kyle's very good at Euripides. I know the strat he likes to play. I played Lynch again because I felt it was the best choice for this, uh, this, this strat and myself. I knew he was going to get in my face. Um, so in, in that, I specifically took um, Kitty as a way to move the lodestone around quickly, walk through ice pillars that are going to want to block me in and just get out on the board where I needed to be. And how did that go for you? Yeah, it worked out pretty well. I think I got three, I think I got three out of four ley lines points for that one. Very, very nice. So Kyle, how about you? I know you're going up against somebody who's also familiar with their master. I mean, he's a big Lynch fan. You're familiar with yours. What was your thoughts going into it? Um, was basically just, uh, I don't think I've ever actually played Lynch in third ed, so I wasn't 100% sure on what I was getting into. Right. So I just sort of fell back onto, I know what I'm doing, so I'll try and keep what I'm doing good, and hopefully I can counter what he does. And when you when you think about the match now, uh, Kyle, is there, is there any moment that you think that really was a, a deciding uh, turning point? Uh, there was a few times where last activation, Huggy walked through a wall, obeyed my model off the... Uh, the, the the my model with the lodestone off the um, the marker or throw it away or make it throw it back to the other model who's already activated that was that's quite brutal. annoying yeah that's there was brutal. also a, there was also a couple of I think it was three turns that Lynch survived with Thune and Agurian beating on his face yeah Lynch is really tough yeah Lynch yeah. is tough Lynch is tough well I'm gonna say this Lynch is tough in the right hands um uh Lynch is not a plug and play master so hats off to Josh because um, but Lynch in the right hands is just so frustrating. So Such much a frustrating fun. master. So yeah. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. For the Lynch player. Yes, I agree, games. Josh. <laughs> uh, so what was the final score, Kyle? Uh, final score was, uh, I believe, 5-4. Oh, another Two. close one. Josh. Yes. Very nice. So second place for Josh and third place for Kyle. That's fantastic. Well, gentlemen, that sounds like a great tournament. Now, for those listening, we um, are recording this days after the release of Gaining Ground Season 2. And I think uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I want to focus on the new strategy. I want to find out from these three experienced players what their thoughts are on Break the Line. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. All right. So purposefully, even though I've got an NDA with with weird signed and everything, I purposely stay out of betas. Um, that allows me to be able to talk on the show and not worry about slipping up and saying something I shouldn't have said and not knowing something I shouldn't have known and stuff. Um, so the first time I had heard or talked or thought about uh the first time I had heard of Break the Line and read it was with everybody else. Um, and I thought it was very interesting. So for those of you that maybe not have uh, looked at it yet, let's read it real quick. After deployment zones are chosen, starting with a defending player, each player alternates creating two strategy markers centered on the center line, at least six inches away from another strategy marker. Strategy markers are concealing and impassable. A friendly controlled model in base contact with a strategy marker can take the interact action to place that strategy marker anywhere within line of sight within two inches of its current position. At the end of each turn, a crew gains one VP if there's are if there are more strategy markers completely on the opposing player's table half than VP that it's gained from the strategy. Strategy markers at least eight inches from the center line counts as two victory points, which I think is what makes this really interesting. So, uh, Josh, um, your first impressions. Yeah, so I'm also in the NDA. I've had a chance to look at this for a while, but I've not actually played a game. Um, First impressions for me are this strategy has all of the hallmarks of a great strategy. It encourages or forces interaction between the players. Yep but it also spreads out where that interaction occurs so it doesn't just devolve into a scrum. Um, It rewards fighting and scheming. Um, And then obviously it just, it plays around the entire board really well. I think those factors combined just make it that this is going to be a fan favorite. Like Turf War, um, like Ley Lines, it's just, it's got those same traits. Yeah, and 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 you kind of talk touched on it, Josh. Because one one of the first things that I liked about it is I like a strategy that allows me to take a couple different approaches. Um, and what I like about that is I have some options, but so does my opponent, which means I don't necessarily know what my opponent's going to do to score this, right? Because there's there's a couple different ways to do it, and with any strategy, denying a point is the same as scoring a point. Um, so I think that um, I agree with you, Josh. I think that th- this is going to prove proved to be a very popular and uh, uh, a beloved strategy. How about you, Kyle? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, uh, my first thoughts are it's basically a much less punishing uh, corrupted idols. You don't take damage when you move them and you know where all they are. They're not showing up each turn. It's, yeah, if you, because with corrupted idols, if you don't have any healing, it's really hard to uh, sort of keep going. And if your opponent starts throwing it back, it just, it's really rough. Whereas this one, I think, yeah, there's a lot more uh, sort of play around and counterplay to it. And just to jump in quickly, also, unlike ley lines where one player is going to try and force everything to go in one spot or one side, this one's automatically spread out across the center line. So your opponent might put make a push on one side with a couple of markers. But if you just shove one marker two, like that eight inches, you're, you're still on par. So you can flank really hard. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played this yet, and and I'm and I, I'll be very interested to see. It's going to be interesting six months from now whether we're seeing more people spreading out to get the one victory point or people concentrating to try to pick up the double points. 
Um, I really don't know which way it's going to go. Anthony, what do you think? Um, what do you think six months from now we're going to see is more popular spreading out and trying to control the most markers or to try to concentrate and get markers an eight inches away? Um, no, I guess it depends on what crew you play. Um, True. Some, yeah, some uh, we've just, um, you know, the, the thing with Malifaux is just it depends. Um, if you have a crew that can concentrate something that uh, is tough, fast, can stay there, can tank, um, has some form of attrition, I think you can concentrate on just getting that one marker further down. Um, but if you have something that can spread out, is independent, you can focus on different markers. Um, I, I, yeah, I guess it just depends. Like for myself, um, if I look at Resurrectionists, um, I can see McMorning. Um, Interesting. Doing, yeah, doing very well on this because his crew is fast um, with the Kentauri. Um, they're incredibly tanky and they have a, uh, you know, a bruiser mindset. Um, you come near me, it will hurt. I'm, I'm not unkillable, but if you want to get to these markers, um, it, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a, a slog. And boy, would it make me happy to see McMorning hit the table again. Um, I, I hate that uh, I just can never come up with a way to to, to justify him. But uh, I hadn't thought about that, man. I'm going to have to noodle on that. I like that idea a lot um, where he could potentially see play there. All right. So that is the new uh, strategy. I'm going to give you gentlemen uh, a quick round table, a uh, quick, quick a lightning round here. Each of you can tell me the one, the best thing about uh, the errata and the thing that you hate the most about the new errata. So uh, let's start with you, Kyle. What do you think? What did you, when you read the changes, what was the change you uh, agreed with the most? Um, hmm. I think I like the, uh, the focus distracted changes, how uh, distracted now cancels focus. Cause a big problem with distracted was it's just a negative to the flip. Right. Whereas focus is a positive to both the attack and the damage. Oh, I'm distracted. I'll just focus and hit you with a positive on damage. Exactly. Yeah. It, um, that, that gave, you know, people talked about it was all nerfs, but that ends up being a huge, huge boost to a lot of crews. Cause there's a lot of crews that were built around distracted and, you know, distracted just wasn't as good. Um, and I, I think I agree with you, Kyle. That's a big change. Which one uh, are you skeptical of or disappointed with? Um, Overall, I think most of them I liked. It's just, I think there could have been more buffs. That's it. Yeah. Like, and nerfs are fine and all, but um, yeah, I think more buffs could have been better. Emotionally, I think we can, it's nice to see a little bit more balance is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. How about you, Josh? What was, uh, what was your favorite thing, uh, favorite change? So I play a decent amount of Neverborn, and when I play Neverborn, I tend to play a lot of Dreamer. My favorite change, and it's not close, was the changes to Serena Bowman. Nice. Um, this is something that I know I've spoken with Anthony at, at length. I've spoken with Matt at length um, about how she sort of just did everything. She was tanky. She supported well. She put out huge damage. Um, now she has a much more niche-focused yeah. role, and I don't feel like I need to take her every time. And, and honestly, Matt and I had been discussing this for a while, and these changes are pretty much exactly what we thought she needed. And I think she's perfect now. Well, and, and what people don't realize sometimes, because I've heard we've had some locals here complaining about Serena's changes. And, you know, and you, you said it without saying it, Josh, is now it frees you up. Now it gives you some more flexibility yeah. because if, if you didn't bring her, then you're the idiot at the table. Right. Because she yeah. did. She did everything. But now now you get to explore some of the hidden power that you couldn't find because uh, you didn't have room for it before. Um, and, and just so that that, well. I think that's great as a dreamer player um, that, that, that you recognize that. That's great. Um, was there any uh, any ones that concerned you a little bit or that you didn't care for? Um, I haven't spent a lot of time going super in depth with them all, but I haven't seen any that I really have an issue with. I think all of the changes are, are reasoned. Um, I think that they're, they're measured and I think they've hit a lot of the obviously you can't fix everything in one pass in one go right. and make it perfect. But I think they've done an excellent job with this, just like with GG one. I think they've hit it out of the park. Yeah. I'll be very interested to see how it ages. Um, Cause that's kind of my initial, t initial take Josh. Um, but that can change, right? Cause I haven't put it on the table yet. How yeah. about you, Anthony? Um, what did you like the most? Um, oh, to my, my choice for what I like and what I don't like. So be really influenced by the fact that I just got into these two crews. Um, mm. one, one thing I really like is um, I managed just to complete uh, Yoko. 
Hamasaki and the Qiongong keyword. Um, I had maybe about five, six games on an old card. And it's sad to say that I've never played a keyword where my master was the thing on the board that did nothing. Yeah. Yeah, she, her ranges were too short. She was way too swishy to be that close to somebody. Um, uh, her quasi obey was um, way too, um, way too easy just to get around. You know, yeah. um, she just didn't influence anything. So, um, especially all her cool abilities were in the front of her card. She was essentially just three move actions trying to get into range for those core abilities. Yep. Um, which, you know, which felt bad. So her new changes now where she can actually have more direct influence. You as a player feel like you, you're doing more than just trying to keep your buff, you know, your, your, um, sort of, uh, non-active buff piece or debuff piece alive. You know, it felt like you could actually be doing something with Yoko herself to influence the game, which really supplement the fact that I think her keyword is amazing. Like her Alba models are really, really good. And the whole, sort of the whole power level of that crew just grows up you know they're not op um but uh they still they're, they're still more they feel more competent now that's great that's great any ones that you were concerned about um i picked up wong recently i'm building <laughs> yeah. half his crew now and for somebody that's touted as one of the worst masters in the game i felt a bit uh sad that he didn't get anything you know ultra cool but I think I'm still going to have fun throwing pigs at people from, you know, 12 inches away and, uh, you know, making Cadmus player flip Cadmus players, uh, flip a whole bunch of movement jewels. <laughs> yeah. You're going to, you're going to find with Wong Anthony that he's, he's not great in every pool. Of course. Um, but if you get used to him and you start finding some of that second level play with him, Wong is good. Um, yes. he's just not going to be good everywhere. Um, and you'll, you'll quickly, you'll figure it out, man. You'll figure yeah. it out. You'll begin <laughs> to recognize it. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate it. This was very interesting. It was nice to get your hot takes. It was also uh, nice to hear how you guys were able to win this tournament. Um, uh, Anthony, any quick shout outs or plugs? Uh, big one to our TO Matt. Um, he, he comes on here. He's um, a big part of a big driver in our community. Um, and we just want to say, you know, really appreciate him uh, running our tournaments. And, you know, it feels bad that he actually never get a play near them because he's always the one running them. But, you know, as the players, we, we really appreciate his ability to maintain our community. You know, we're, we're growing every single day. Uh, probably last two weeks, we probably got about four new players that came into Jeez, the community. That's fantastic. Yeah, we um our, our tournament that we're just talking about now um capped out at sixteen, but we sold out at sixteen. We couldn't fit anybody that's else great. into, and with you know with just with the size of the shop. So it's just great to see the Malifaux community building in you know uh, Australian Malifaux doing well. Yeah, and that's all thanks to Matt. Yeah. Yeah, Mal, you you weren't around, Anthony, but uh, it I, I Australia was one of the bigger metas in two E, so it makes me happy to start seeing seeing the, some strength coming back out of uh, your part of the world. Um, so it's great, and yeah, Matt's a good guy. I like Matt. Uh, Josh, yeah, um, just just a, a backup on Anthony. Um, big thanks to Matt for all he does for our community, putting on tournaments, day or like consistently running stuff. Um, right now we've got another a league that he's running that's just getting signups now starting in early May. Um, so there's just more work that he's putting in. He, he really does, you know, put leave nothing back trying to build this, this game that he loves. Um, and just a shout that's out to awesome. the, the Perth meta in general, you know, it's a bunch of good players, um, skilled. And even with the new players, you know, everyone's happy to teach. Everyone just wants to learn and have fun. Very, very cool. And how about you, Kyle? Yeah, I think just echo what they said. Thanks to Matt for everything he does. And thanks to the community for being so great. That's great. All right, gentlemen, I do appreciate it. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. So Kyle, how about you? Knowing, um, knowing you're going up against... Uh, try that again. Know you're going up...
All right, so I will start with Anthony again, and then we'll talk about the match between Josh and Kyle. How's yep. that sound? Yep. Sorry cool. about <clears throat> Yeah, probably a chocolate thick shake in the morning is probably not the best idea for a podcast. No, not really. It's <laughs> a dangerous choice. Get your throat nice and phlegmy. Yep. Don't worry me. All right, I'll bring us back. Guys, that was great. That was very concise. Good information. Thank you. I was holding that buffer. Um, <laughs> just mute yourself, man. Yeah, yeah I probably should do that. Yeah, let's try and get through my thick shape. <laughs> Anthony's like, wrap this shit up, dude. I gotta cough. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. Say, uh, Nobody wants to hear choice. anything else from Josh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go in reverse order, so we'll go Josh, Kyle, finished with Anthony. Yeah. Oh, just let me pull up. All right, good first segment, guys. All right, so in round one, did anybody play anybody? Uh, no, no. we all played different opponents. Okay, great. <clears throat> and I noticed that Corrupted Ley Lines was round one and round three. Is that correct? Yes. There's a yes. bit of a story there. So okay, good. I'm happy to tell it during the podcast. Yeah, if you we'll, like. we'll, yeah we'll tell it uh, when we get to round three. All right, so I will start with you, Anthony, in round one, okay? Cool. Excellent. Now I'm just going to bring up my notes. Our guests, Joshua Lomas, Anthony Nguyen, Kyle McCleary, the easiest one, I fucked it up. (laughs) And Kyle McCleary are the... You still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, you might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.